This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I don't make your skin hum? No, not yet. Well, I'm going to fix that. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacy Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacy's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season four, episode 11 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls in The Clamor and the Clangor. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Doomed. This is kind of a Christmas episode, Brian. A Buffy? No, um, <laughs> just in general. It's it's Christmas when these come out. It's the 20, yeah. 21st of December. Yeah. It's not today, but it will be. Oh, our podcast is the Christmas episode. Yeah. Okay. It's weird because the Gilmore Girl episodes feels very Christmassy. Yeah. It's super snowy, but yeah. it's January. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It just sort of has like a magicalness about it. Um, but it's Christmas in real life. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Or whatever you celebrate. I don't care. And if you don't celebrate anything, good for you. Just relax. Yeah. Happy relaxing. Yeah. Also, this episode kind of marks the halfway point. Of the whole show? Yeah. I mean, it's weird because Buffy obviously had that shorter first season. So it's not necessarily the halfway point of the podcast. I'd have to figure out when that is. But we're halfway through season four of Gilmore Girls. So that's about halfway through the entire series of Gilmore Girls, at least. Mm -hmm. What do we think? (laughs) I'm not into either show. (laughs) Okay. Well. We're going to keep going, I think. Yeah, I'm just going to reluctantly plow through this. Uh, I feel like we've come too far to not finish. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm kidding, obviously, too. I know. We have a five-star review. Nice. Thank you so much to Casey the Sydney Cider. They're from Australia. Oh, I just assumed they took Sydney's side in a fight. No. That's actually a very clever name. What's new with you? Well, I've got a college gig in February. What state? It's Ithaca, New York. That's a city and a state. Yes. I've started going back to Mike's, which is crazy. How's that? I didn't go with you. It's just crazy to be like, oh yeah, a bunch of people in a room. We used to do this all the time. Sharing a microphone. Do you yeah. like wipe and it, it down? It does have that like magical quality about it for about 10 minutes. And then you're like, everyone's bad at comedy. Yeah, and you like desperately want to leave. <laughs> we ran a mic and a show uh, for a while here in New York. And that's just how New York mics are. And most mics, I feel like, they start strong. They're fun until about halfway through, and then you're like, oh, God, can this be done? But there's free pizza. Yes, if you buy a beer at this place, you do get a free pizza. It's pretty fantastic. That's why I kept going, I think. Yeah, that's not at all places. No. And it's not too late to order wine for the holiday season. It probably is, actually. Yeah, by the time this comes out. No, you know what? If you order the day it comes out, it comes in like two days. That's true. So order a ton. (laughs) Yeah. Don't forget about our partnership with Wink.com. It's a wine service where you fill out a survey about what your, like, palate is like. Like, oh, I like these foods. Oh, I like these foods. Oh, I don't like this type of food. They put that all through some magic algorithm because algorithms are magic. I don't know if you know. And then they're like, boom, output says you like these wines. It's like a dating service but for wines. And then they send you a bunch of the wines they think that your mouth is going to like. And then you get it every month. We have a special partnership with them right now where you can get your first box of wine for $29.99. Four bottles. Four, yes. First box, four bottles. Free shipping. Free shipping. You should do it. It's great wine. Well, I don't know what your tastes are like. Maybe they won't work for yours, but they do for us. Yeah. You should order it, get it. If you love it, stay with the program. If you don't love it, then cancel it. Whatever. Uh, it is a subscription service, but you can just get the first one for twenty nine ninety nine, and we recommend it. We actually skipped this month because we got a lot last month, and I still have some left. Yeah. And we'll be gone for some holiday time, so won't be drinking as much. 
here. We'll be we drinking. We will be drinking. We're going to be with family. So, yeah. And you can take advantage of our partnership with Wink by clicking on the link in the episode description or in our social media bio or by using promo code Gilmore Slayer when you check out. All right, Brian, tell us all about In the Clamor and the Clangor. Okay, so this episode is about um, bells. Yeah. Uh, Lorelai being like a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Rory being a little self centered. And also Lane dealing with her mom stuff. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a big one. Roar being self-centered, that's what she calls herself. I don't actually feel like she's self-centered. I feel like she has a total right for what happens in this episode to think that she's... Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. First off, before I even jump into this, I just want to say that I love when you're watching a show and they have the previously on segment, and then you really get to tell what this episode's going to be about, you know, by what they show you. What specifically was in this one? Well, this one, they're like, remember when Luke didn't tell Lorelai that he had gotten married and a divorce? And you remember when Nicole said that they're going to continue dating? And it's like, they didn't just say that for no reason. Right. But also, they were like, remember when Rory asked that guy out and he said no? I'm like, that guy's coming back? Yeah. Laundry room dude's important? That was like what? forever ago. Yeah. Uh, so this episode, uh, I'm going to start with saying this. This episode has a great cold open. I love it. Really? I didn't think you would have liked this. I liked it a lot. Huh. A lot. Well, okay. So Stan, a character that I don't think we have ever met. No. Has died. And never will. Yeah. And the girls are at his funeral. As much as I think Alexis Bladell, is that right? Bladell sounds like I'm saying the name wrong. You're saying it like you're about to throw up. That's how you say your name. Say it. Bladell. Bladell. There's so much emphasis on your bleh. That's how you said it. <laughs> What's her name? Say, what's his name? Alexis Bladell. Bladell, yeah. Okay, so Alexis Bladell is a great actress. I think Are you playing a tuba? <laughs> Bladell is a great actress, but I just do not buy Bladell's weeping in the scene at all. Oh, her weeping don't get better, honey. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, well, anyway, she is very sad about Stan dying. And I'm not buying these tears at all. And part of it's the writing because it's supposed to be funny. But I'm like, no, I don't, I don't believe you. So far, I'm not sure why you like the scene. This okay. is so over the top. So we're at this funeral. Suki's sad, believably sad. Great job, Melissa McCartney. McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy finally had forgiven us for getting her name wrong. Yeah, she calls us all the time angry. Also, side note, Rory mentions that she, like Stan, hates mushrooms. But just like a few episodes ago, she really was excited to eat some of Richard and Emily's like party mushrooms. I'm trying to remember. I should have gone back and looked. If it was just Lorelai that was like jelly, maybe Rory was just relaying the information that they had mushroom caps. No, I think Rory wanted them. I think you're right. Consistency, Amy Sherman Palladino. Well, you learned her name. Yeah, Bloodell. Okay, Lorelai realizes that deaths in Stars Hollow come in fives, and she also realizes that only four people have recently died, and so she decides that the extremely old Hank Krutzman, a few pews up, is likely the next to go. By the way, the other people who died this year have very funny names. Yeah, that's true. Pinochle Downs and <laughs> Mr. Angelotopoulos. <laughs> yeah, totally fake sounding names. All the other ones they said were okay, but those were really funny. Uh, by the way, Stan was a regular at their inn. He ate at the restaurant, so that's how they know him, I guess. Rory is convinced, though, that if they think Hank is going to be next, and then he does die, then they caused it. So she's like, we can't say that. Let's stop talking about it. So then when he falls on his way out, they, like, freak out. And that's actually pretty funny, I feel like. They're just, like, deathly afraid they're going to cause his death if he dies. Also, like, they mention it could be anybody. It doesn't have to be him. It could be Kirk. And then Kirk, like, almost kills himself on some flowers. <laughs> 
He even says, like, go in dark. I'm like, you fell down. You're fine. <laughs> to be clear, he doesn't almost kill himself the way Spike almost kills himself. He just happens to trip. Right. I'm sure the listeners at home were like, <laughs> like Spike? Yeah. Kirk intentionally fell on some pointy flowers. And yelled, it's going dark. Yeah. Now, my question is, will this death comes in fives and stars hollow thing come up again? Well, I'd say not if Rory's oscillating mushroom proclivities have any indication of what's going to happen. Ooh, Pretty big sure words. <laughs> so many words. So I think all this stuff is funny of them being like in their head about causing deaths. I think that's all very funny. <laughs> However, the most important thing about this funeral is that dead Stan loved the old church bells, which have been broken for years for some reason. So he donated a bunch of money in his will to restore those bells. So everyone's super excited about that idea. Even Miss Patty, who deaf had like a wonderful bell-accompanied finger-bang memory. That was funny. Yeah, she's all like, yeah, one of my most romantic memories is for those bells. And Rory's like, oh, you kissed someone during the bells? And she's like, yeah, 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 <laughs> sure. <laughs> then we cut to Lane. Lane and the band are practicing. All the dialogue in this scene, I think, is like pretty funny. They all share guilty pleasure music, like Fleetwood Mac or Simon and Garfunkel. They accuse Zach of liking NSYNC because... <laughs> Just, like, the word choice he had. He just keeps saying, no, I just read about them. Yeah, I just, I skimmed about them. I didn't even read it. That was all very funny. I don't think he does like them. No, it's but. just, he's saying that they're singing too on tune or, like, too. On beat. On beat. The music's too on beat. Yeah, and he's like, we're too in sync. They're like, you like in sync? <laughs> Uh, my guilty pleasure music is, of course, Taylor Swift. Mm. I don't want to admit it, but I think she's great. Sorry, I'm a basic bitch. She's fantastic. No one made you admit it. Uh, I just had to. Were you an NSYNC girl? I was more of a Backstreet Boys person. Right, but never an NSYNC? I liked both simultaneously, but if I had to choose, I was more of a Backstreet Boys fan. Got it. I went to their concert in 2019 because I never got to go in 1999 when it was appropriate. That's right. I remember now because you, uh, your mother was Miss Kim. <laughs> it was great. Zach is clearly still having some issues with Gil, Gil being their old man. <laughs> lead guitarist who's not much older than Lane in IRL yeah yeah but in this he's supposedly much older but then Gil tells them that he got them a gig at the CBGB's in New York which I guess is a really prestigious venue where bands like the Ramones and the Talking Heads and other huge groups got their start I looked it up it it is a real place it closed in like 2006 but it was it was real Needless to say, Lane is very excited about this gig, but the gig is at 1 a.m., which is going to be hard for Lane, given that her mother's got a very strict curfew and watches, like, every single thing she does. Fun fact about Gil's kids. His son's name is Xander. Right, yeah. And the other funny thing is he said Zach's face looked like his seven-year-old daughter's when she's all grumpy puss. Yeah. <laughs> It's just a funny line. Uh, Xander, much like Buffy Xander, is a failure. He's not good at <laughs> soccer either. Oh, ouch. Well, they make a joke about him not being good at soccer. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's winter in Stars Hollow, which of course means... Snowmen! Fake snowmen <laughs> and lots of fake snow. They took our notes, though. They didn't wiggle. Yeah, back in season two, they had some snowmen that looked so fake it was unreal. Like, I would have believed Alexis's Bladell's crying <laughs> before I believed that these were real snowmen. <laughs> But we have new snowmen. Definitely, again, there's not enough snow around for them to have made these, but they're still, they look better. And while Rory and Lorelai are walking through town, just admiring the snow, the bells go off. And the entire town comes outside to enjoy and fondly remember dead old Stan and the bells. (laughs) People clap. They love the bells. Yeah, they love them. 
And then we get a bunch of the La 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 music. I feel like they have like eight different La 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 tracks. Mm-hmm. Like every time I hear La La La, I'm like, is this just a, sl- do they do it live every time? It's like slightly different. It's weird. Lorelai's like, I got to go to Luke's for something. And she's like hiding the fact that she's going to get coffee. I don't know why that's like a secret from Rory. Yeah. Also, because like Rory meets up with her like a second later. Yeah. Rory's going to go to Lane's. Lorelai's like, I'm going to do something else real quick. And she's obviously just going to Luke's. Rory says, please get me a coffee, a muffin, and some onion rings. And then they joke about their diet being bad. I think we've talked about this before. There's no person can eat all that and just not have like intense shits after that, right? Well, I mean, they don't put that part in the show. But I like to think about the idea that, like, the show's about these two quirky, very cute women who have sudden massive shits off screen all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> like emergency shits. You can't eat all that. Every The amount of coffee they have, there's no way they don't spend a substantial time in the bathroom. Well, we'll is that a plot point in the next season? Season six gets weird. (laughs) I like the idea of Lorelai being like, listen, Jason, you've got your weird thing about needing to sleep alone. Well, I'm going to need my own bathroom because I have a problem. Anyway, way off topic. Sorry, everybody. Rory goes to visit Lane, who is, like, meeting with her class newsletter group, her yearbook. The Deffer says what this group is. Yeah, I don't know. And they're working on something, and they need an interview from somebody. And they're all suggesting that they get Pastor Cho. And she's like, what about Bill Clinton? And Rami Malek is there. Mm-hmm. And he's all like, assistant Pastor Eric. <laughs> he's got such a boner for assistant Pastor Eric. Oh, I thought it sounded like he had to poop. Is that what you sound like when you have a boner? <laughs> yeah, of course. You wouldn't know. Uh, I tune you out. <laughs> yeah, you always put earplugs in whenever oh, I get a boner. Here we go. <laughs> oh, no. You don't want tinnitus or whatever. <laughs> what is that? I know that's from one of these episodes. I can't remember who. It's from this one. It's from Kirk. He gets it from the, the bells, uh, right? From the bells. This is Rami Malek's first role, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and he's selling it hard. He wants Pastor Eric to interview for this newspaper so bad. Pretty sure all three of his lines are, Pastor Eric! <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He's like this big name, and then he's just such a bit part. It's so interesting. Like John Hamm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is even a much bittier part than John Hamm. Mm-hmm. I was about to say he was a meteor role, but then it sounds like a pun, and I'm not trying to do a pun. Because of John Hamm's big dick? Yeah, huge Ham dick. Okay. I know nothing. John Ham has a notoriously big dick. Does he? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about Rami's dick. Can you look into it? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Just get back to me when you have time. Let me know if any of you want to know. <laughs> or if you know. Uh, so it's not clear what they're working on, but Lane takes Rory upstairs to her room. We find out that the book, I'm doing air quotes, that Rory is returning is actually hollowed out. And she takes a CD out and she puts a new one in. This is some forbidden secular music Mrs. Kim would never approve of. She like Shawshanks a CD in. And then Lane makes sure to put on a new dust jacket so that when her mother like inspects the book when she walks out. I'm confused about this though because I could understand Mrs. Kim being like, what book are you bringing into my daughter's room? But it's weird to be like, what book are you leaving my daughter's room with? I think this is a slight mistake because when Dave leaves, Mm -hmm. she opens the book. Yeah. So Lane should know that her mom opens books. Yeah. Depending on how the book is hollowed out, like it might still have a first page. Yeah. But she also might trust Rory to be like, well, that's probably Rory's book or whatever. Sure. But yeah, she, (laughs) Miss Kim, inspects it and she's all like, (laughs) one woman's harrowing journey to God. And then she's like, good choice. (laughs) Great book. Lane tells Rory about the 1 a.m. gig, but she casually mentions that she hasn't really come up with an alibi yet, but she's not worried about it. She's confident she'll come up with something. 
The next day at Yale, Paris has roped Rory into joining her at the International Relations Association. It's just a club of people that talk about international relations, I guess. Even though Paris is pre-med, she suddenly found an interest in international relations because of some fella. Now, you mentioned in the previous episode that it seemed to you like Paris wanted Rory to know. And I was like, oh, I don't think so. But you were right. It's clear, clear Paris wants Rory to ask her about her new man. Yeah. She keeps being like, a certain fella told me. A certain fella told me. And it's like, first off, you're supposed to still be with Jamie right now. Mm -hmm. For all we know, you're still with Jamie. So why are you mentioning your infidelities or at least alluding to your infidelities? I don't understand. It is weird. It would be one thing if she told Rory like, hey, I broke up with Jamie. Let's talk about my new boyfriend. And then Rory could be like, I know your new boyfriend's an old man. This is weird. But it's just weird that she's flaunting her infidelity. I don't know. Maybe she just like feels guilty and wants to get it off her chest. She seems pretty like proud of herself, honestly. She she seems like, ask me because I'm wanting to brag. It'll come to the surface eventually, I think. I mean, obviously, it would be weird if they just never addressed it. She marries him, never tells Season Rory. Season seven, yet. certain fella got me pregnant. And then, surprise, 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 Laundry Boy shows up. Laundry Boy being William, the guy that several episodes ago, Rory casually asked out while she was doing laundry, and he casually said no. Casually. Casually. So now she's in this club with him, and she didn't mean to be in the same club as him, but she is. So later, Rory's sitting with some friends, and you said these are people that we've met in a previous episode, right? Yeah, they were in the episode where Rory moved into the dorm, and they ordered all the food. Okay, so I didn't remember them, but all right. The two of these girls start just gushing over this super hot guy behind them, who is Laundry Room Dude, a.k.a. William. They act like he's like a super hot model. Like, he's hot, but I don't think he's like wowza hot, like fan yourself hot. Am I wrong? Uh, he's cute. He I is hot? He's hot? I, I don't know. He's an 18-year-old boy. I mean, he's cute. I probably would have thought he was cute at the time. Okay, weirdo. Uh... <laughs> he's got, like, <laughs> big puffy lips. Puffy like Giles nipples. Okay, so he's hot because he's got old British man nipple lips? Mm-hmm. Right. Just like Asher. <laughs> yeah, that's what Paris keeps trying to tell her. Well, they're going on and on about how hot this guy is and how they're going to make a move. But then Rory's friend starts saying that William is, like, also super funny because he tells this really great story about this girl who awkwardly asked him out and is now stalking him everywhere he goes. Quickly dawns on Rory that she is the girl from the story. Of course, it's all exaggeration, and she feels bad about it. I like this scene. I felt it was kind of cool, the way it zoomed in on Rory feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. By the way, the premise of this gathering of friends is to, like, bash one of the girls' care packages. All the stuff they point out is stuff I would have totally eaten all the time in college. I don't think they're meeting to bash it. I think they just are bashing it because it's not good stuff. Right. But I also think this is fine stuff. It's like canned fruit and ramen. That's what college kids eat. Yeah. And it's like, well, a dad put this together. Oh, I'm sorry that dad sent you free food. <laughs> yeah. So, Rory feels particularly self-conscious about this in their next International Relations Association meeting. Especially when she accidentally drops her pan and it just like rolls over to William, almost like she's trying to get his attention. She's so creepy. Yeah. In this scene, they're talking about the Israeli-Palestine conflict. And honestly, I don't like the writing in this scene. Like, they are being far too flippant and reductive about the situation, especially Paris, who is using the Bible as a primary source in this argument, which is what... She compares the conflict to siblings fighting over a TV remote. And given the bloodshed involved in this, like, very real conflict's history, I feel like this is sort of insensitive from the writer's perspective. Hmm. Not just Paris as a character. It'd be one thing if Paris said this and then someone was like, hey, Paris, that's, like, super insensitive. But all the teacher says is, like, your biblical facts are right, but you're ignoring some of the complexities as opposed to, like, and you're being, like, very crass about people who are dead. Right. Like, it was, I don't know, it was kind of a lot. 
And then William chimes in and starts to argue that this conflict is just nothing more than a power struggle. And it's not that complex. And then Rory goes full attack dog on William, like even attacking his posture at some point. (laughs) She makes a point of mentioning how propaganda causes a bunch of damage, i.e. the untrue details of the story about her he keeps telling. She even straight up calls him an idiot. And the professor is like, okay, you two. And I'm like, you two? Out of context, Rory is being insane right now. Yeah. Paris also has a sub game that she hates this professor. (laughs) Yeah, because the professor's like kid got busted for weed? Yeah. Okay. I just want to point out that, like, I went to college. Having heated, even, debates with people is totally fine. That's part of the college experience. But, like, one sentence in being like, sit up, you idiot. Like, that's not how debates in college work. Right. Anyway, at Luke's, we find out that the Bells have given Kirk tinnitus, which I think is how you say it. I don't know. That's how he, that's says, how it. he says it. Tinnitus is what I want to say, but maybe that's wrong. Tendinitis? Okay, so Kirk has tuberculosis. And Luke also hates the Bells, which is not surprising, right? We all knew Luke was going to hate the Bells. He hates everything. That brings joy to people. And Lorelai comes in and gives him, like, a really hard time about how everyone loves the Bells. And he's just being a grump. She also notices that he's got a bunch of paint swatches. And she's like, what are those all about? And that's when Luke reluctantly tells her that, you know, he's moved into an apartment with Nicole in Litchfield. Actually, he did it three weeks ago. Litchfield's another county over, and Lorelai does not take this news very well at all. She gets really, really upset that he didn't tell her. We talked about it a little. It it would be weird for, like, a good friend to not tell you they moved. Like, someone you see every day. But I don't know that we exactly know the terms of their friendship. I don't know that she does either. I feel like that's part of what she's wrestling with later in this episode. Yeah. But, like, if our good friends that we see every day didn't tell us they moved, that would be a little weird. It would be a little weird, but, like, if it didn't affect us at all. I wouldn't react this way. I would just be like, oh. And then later to, like, another friend be like, why didn't they tell me they moved? That's weird. But I wouldn't, like, yell at them. Yeah. In their work. Exactly. Luke keeps making the point that, like, I still work here every day. You still see me every day. You didn't even know that I moved three weeks ago. Because nothing about our relationship has changed. So what business is it to you that I moved? And I feel like that's true. Like... Why does he need to tell Lorelai everything about his relationship? When he does, I feel like she makes it weird. Yeah. She hates it. She's like, friends tell each other everything. Friends at least tell each other this kind of stuff. And I'm like, do they, though? Have you told them anything about Jason? I do feel like if Lorelai moved to Litchfield and didn't tell Luke, he would also be a little weirded out. I agree that he would be weirded out, but he, he wouldn't, wouldn't react this way. They're also two different people. Luke isn't this uh, isn't like a sharer. He's like much more cards to the chest. So I get that she might think, well, I would say all this. But she also knows Luke isn't the type to do that. Yeah. So anyway, she's very, very, very upset with him. And I get feeling hurt that he didn't tell her. I get that. I just feel like her reaction is, is too much. Mm-hmm. Like once again in public at his work. Yeah. In the middle of the town. <laughs> totally. So Lorelai goes home and vents to Sukui. And vents to Sukui. <laughs> So Lorelai goes home and vents to Suki, who's brought her baby over, and they're going over what kind of sconces they want to get for their new inn. Lorelai does this, like, weird dog treat analogy about her friendship with Luke, and it really gets off the rails. And it's actually super funny because Suki at some point says, like, I want to chime in and be supportive, but, like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Suki's baby starts to cry because it hates the bells and knows they're about to chime. Seems like the bells are getting on people's nerves. Yeah, this is the first indication that maybe the bells aren't uh, amazing. 
However, when the bells start chiming, Lorelai looks out and sees Luke shoveling all the very, very fake snow off her sidewalk. And it's sort of got this, like, Christmas miracle, rom-com finale sort of feel to it. And so she goes out there kind of smiling, like, oh, we're past the fighty part. And she thanks him for doing that. And then he just starts yelling at her. (laughs) I don't really get why he came over. (laughs) I think he came over to yell at her and saw how bad her walkway looked and just started doing it because he was angry and it needed to get done. Yeah. He just starts yelling at her about how this is none of her business, and he doesn't know her anything, but more importantly, she doesn't have the right to make him feel guilty about something that's not relevant to her. He also says that she should stop being so responsible and, like, shovel her driveway because it's super tall and it's, like, a safety hazard. But then he leaves with the shovel, and when she starts to complain about it, he's like, this is my shovel. You borrowed it from me three years ago never gave it back. So, Lorelai. I feel like you probably loved this scene. Did. It's like everything I've ever wanted to say to Lorelai. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 Luke. Yeah, yeah, tell her about how she borrows stuff without your consent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lorelai is upset and hungry, and she's got nowhere she can go because she can't go to Luke's, and she's decided she doesn't want the other foods. She hates Chinese now. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it is true that she doesn't like fresh Chinese. She also doesn't like curry, so she's got nowhere she can go. So she decides to go for a walk in the snow, and she sees everyone actively hating the bells. She's got a real stupid hat on. She's she like does. a marching band leader. Yeah, or like a modified chef cap. People are holding their ears outside. Someone's yelling at the bells to shut up. And Miss Patty is teaching a class where she's saying, one and two and three and four, ignore the bells. They aren't the beat. That was <laughs> so funny to me. Finally, Lorelai just like walks into Luke's and says, so you want to help me break those bells? And he's like, I'll get my toolbox. When Luke goes to get his toolbox, though, Lorelai decides to use this time to, one, follow him into his apartment. He didn't say not to. But it's also weird, too, I feel like. Yeah, I don't, we missed the part where he may or may not have invited her up. Especially when he has a partner now that he's married to. Like, it's weird for her to just like walk into his apartment. Yeah. I'm past that, though. That's fine. Whatever. They're friends. She's done it before. But then, two, she also takes this time to, like, take stock of everything in his apartment and notice that it seems pretty recently lived in. I mean, girl, you just got accused of being too nosy this afternoon. And Where's she you're... supposed to look? Well, I, I, I don't know. She's, like, purposely looking around like, huh, huh, huh. This is none of my business, but I'm taking it all in. Okay, if she did all this... It's fine, whatever. But the she weaponizes that information. I, I think it would be hard to not notice, but the way it's shot and like the music, the show very much wants us to know she's clocking all this for later. It is um, easy not to notice these things if you don't just walk into his apartment. Right, but she did. And when she's there, I don't know that she would be able to ignore some of these things. Okay, that's fair. That's the fair. size of the apartment. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, she. you're right. She's being a little snoopy snoop. So the two break into the church. Lorelai picks a lock using an old gym membership card. Very and, old. Yeah, super old. Like Rory old. Yeah, exactly Rory old, actually. Uh, Luke makes it clear that he was the one who broke the bells in the first place because he knows how to do it and he's going to do it the same way again. Lorelai is being like charmingly flirty with Luke in this scene and it all seems like well and good until she asks why he told her he moved when it doesn't seem to her from what she saw in his apartment that he did move. Luke insists that he did, in fact, move and asks that they talk about something else. But Lorelai just can't help herself. She just keeps prying, funny enough, while holding a crowbar. (laughs) She just, like, keeps telling him that he isn't living with Nicole. 
And honestly, she says some stuff that is like way out of line and hurtful here. Well, well, he does admit that he's been sleeping in his apartment like the last two nights. Right. And he gives reasons for that. And it's fine to wonder in your head like, oh, I wonder if there's trouble in their relationship or something. Yeah, I mean, I definitely get the impression that Luke maybe doesn't super want to live with Nicole. But Lorelai just keeps insisting that they're not living together. Mm -hmm. And like she could move in with them and they wouldn't even notice. And I'm just like, if he is having trouble in his relationship with his wife, like giving him the third degree about that trouble is not what a friend does. Right. And if Luke doesn't want to talk about it and is like, let's change the subject, then it's not your place to keep badgering him about it. Again, Luke points out that his relationship with Nicole does not affect Lorelai at all. And when he asks her why she cares so much, she doesn't answer. Mainly because she probably can't vocalize, well, I think I love you, but I'm not ready to settle down yet. Well, she does it because she doesn't want him to move. Well, then he says, but why? And then she's like silent because the priest walks in. For a moment, there's a, oh, no, he caught us. But he sees that they're breaking the bells and he's like, oh, thank God, carry on. And then leaves. (laughs) It's very funny. Everyone hates the bells. I want to point out like a weird timeline choice in the show right now. So the scene starts with Lorelai going outside, seeing people outside. So it's like, what, eight, nine, ten, maybe, maybe seven. Like Miss Patty's got a class happening. Yeah, so it's probably fairly early. She goes into Luke's and is like, let's break those bells. So it's somewhere between like six and ten at p.m. Then we cut to Lane in New York at her 1 a.m. gig. Then we cut back to Luke and Lorelai breaking into the church. Did four or five hours pass between him being like, let's get my toolbox and let's go break those bells? Like, it doesn't make sense. The timeline doesn't add up. It's weird that we cut away from that. Right. I understand they want to, like, keep the pace tight and, like, moving, but it's weird to be like, now let's jump to the future. Now let's jump back to where we just were. It was snowy. Maybe they got lost on the way to the bells. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, the scene with Lane, which takes place between those two scenes, is at CBGB's. Lane is backstage. She's pumped as hell. Super excited. She can't control herself. A lot of the lines here are, like, super funny. She has a fun line where she's, like, signing the wall at CBGB's is the only reason we're in a band. That and the loose chicks. Lane says that? Yeah, Lane says that. That's funny. But the audience right now at 1 a.m. only consists of Brian's non-drinking parents. So they're told they have to reschedule. It's also a super funny line. From Zach, where he's like, I can't believe your parents don't drink. (laughs) They're all angrily disappointed, but Lane won't let this go. She's like, we have to do it tonight. We have to. I don't care if it's just for two. Tonight's my big break. We've got to do it. And the reason she's like freaking out is because this is her one shot. It turns out she never came up with a workable alibi for the gig. So she just waited until her mom fell asleep and then left. She can't just go back home because her mom's probably there to like bring the hammer down. Part of me was like, can't she just sneak back in at 4 a.m.? But I mean, we learned she could not have. Her mom was awake. But yeah, like, that's the question. You're like, if you waited for your mom to sleep, does she just check in on you throughout the night? Because that would mean Mrs. Kim has to wake herself up several times. So that was a little weird, but maybe she knows her mother. Maybe she knows her mother does check up on her. Lane then suddenly shows up at Rory's dorm at 4 a.m. Paris is not there, by the way. She's essentially like, I can't go home. My mother's going to kill me. But Rory's like, we got to call your mom. Like, she's probably worried sick. Rory calls her mother first. Lorelai's like, yeah, we have to call Miss Kim. I'm calling her right now. I would be worried if you were gone. That call Miss Kim. Uh, We see now that Miss Kim is, like, freaking out. (laughs) The house is filled with police and firemen and a bunch of people, like, praying with candles. (laughs) She's obviously worried about her daughter. Miss Kim gets in her car and just starts to drive to Yale. She stops at Luke's to tell him that Lane will not be in the next day. Super snowy, by the way. She shouldn't be driving all the way to Yale. Yeah. 
But Luke says that, oh, he already knows. Lane already called. She's, like, super responsible. She called, says she can't be there the next day. And then Mrs. Kim realizes that Lane has told everybody but her what's going on. So then Mrs. Kim just goes back home. The next day at Yale, Lane's all worried about what this means. Like, why didn't her mother come to pick her up? That must mean that her mother's, like, trying to torture her psychologically. In this scene, she mentions that Paris comes in in the middle of the night and, like, stepped on her face. And Rory's like, well, at least she doesn't wear heels. In the previous episode when Paris snuck in, she was wearing, like, a decent heeled boot. Oh, interesting. I specifically clocked her shoes. I think Amy Sherman Palladino writes the script and she's like, I'm done. Never have to remember any of that again. <laughs> To be fair, that's not in the script, or what she's wearing. That's true. That's the costume people's mistake. Yeah, I'm giving Amy a bunch of shit, but Amy obviously is a good writer. This stuff is all very funny. I'm just nitpicking. I mean, that's like kind of like the Jess's handwriting yeah. mistake. Yeah. I guess when your scripts are like the size of like three or four other scripts, it's you're bound to trip up a little bit. So Rory's like, all right, Lane, scrap some food and send you home. Later that day, Rory walks past William in the cafeteria, and he mockingly calls her Madeline Albright. He's upset because of how she seemed to, out of nowhere, attack him during their international relations club meeting. Rory just, like, turns and immediately confronts him about the story about her and how she doesn't appreciate him telling it and how a lot of it is exaggeration and made up. But he then tells her that that story is true and it isn't about her. Mm -hmm. It's about a legitimately crazy stalker woman who hid in his closet covered in whipped cream waiting for him. So suddenly she's like, oh, cool. Could you not tell this story to anybody? Because she just made a big scene. Yeah, she made a big scene calling him out in front of the entire cafeteria, everyone staring at her. She learned from her mommy. Yeah. So did you think that it was Rory? I did. I assumed it was Rory. I assumed he was just being a dick. Yeah, I think they... Did a good job with the fake out. I yeah. knew, but... Right, you've seen it. I had rewatched this scene a few weeks ago for some reason. Because I think I was doing some kind of social media thing related to William, and I wanted to make sure he didn't come back. And I was like, oh, he does. I don't believe you. He's going to be a love interest. With those pillowy nipple lips? <laughs> when Lane gets home, Mrs. Kim has gone through her entire room and found all of her hidden, forbidden, secular paraphernalia stashes. Because Lane left a loose floorboard. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, it's so weird that she would, like, not be careful. It was, yeah. like, kind of up. In the same token, though, she was like, I'm leaving. It's all or nothing right now. So maybe she wasn't thinking about I'm it. I'm surprised when Lane walks through her room, she's not just, like, kicking up floorboards all the time. Yeah, like, does Miss Kim walk in and not, like, hit herself in the face with a plank? <laughs> like, every single one, there's something underneath. They're all on, like, fulcrums. She, like, steps on one to, like, open it. You might have to step on it just a certain way, but it does seem like you could accidentally do it fairly easily. Yeah, like, slap yourself in the face, like, when you step on a rake. Well, Lane apologizes for sneaking out and says she doesn't want to keep secrets, but she knows her mom wouldn't approve of what she was doing, even though it's super important to her. Lane tells her mom that she started the secret life when she was six, and her mom had told her that the cookie monster was a deadly sin, gluttony. He is. Oh, yeah, he definitely is. Mrs. Kim takes this pretty hard. She's like, I made you do this. But then Lane proposes that they come to a new arrangement, that she'll still live at home and she'll still follow her mother's curfew. But instead of going to a Christian college, she'll go to a community college. She'll still practice with her band and she'll break curfew just on the nights that she's going to have gigs with her band. And I feel like there's a moment where you feel like Mrs. Kim might acquiesce to this. But then Mrs. Kim is like, no, kids don't make the rules. You can move out and live like that if you want. At first, I'm like, she's not a kid. Yeah. So you can't really control her. But I mean, she's also telling her if you want to live that way, you can't live here, which is also fair. She's an adult. She could move out. And then the episode ends with Lane showing up at Rory's dorm room. That's so sad. What'd you think? I don't know. It was like sad, but like you knew it was going to happen. At some point, yeah. Yeah. um, I feel like at some point, Mrs. Kim is going to accept Lane. She's going to have that moment where she's like, 
Lane is different than I want, and I don't understand why she does these things, but I love her and I stand by her. Even though I'm still going to say I don't like ABC, it's whatever. I hope so. I hope so too. But we got to have conflict before we get there. So Stace, do you think this is a good episode? Not really. I thought the Lane stuff with her mom was really good. I really liked those last few scenes. Mm -hmm. Like They're pretty emotional. Yeah. Seeing Lane show up at Rory's dorm... It's like, oh, no, Lane, you have nowhere to go. And she, like, even says that her life is, like, a mess right now. Yeah. She mentions that she's jealous of Rory's life. Yeah. But, yeah, the Lorelai stuff was just so over the top. Like, she's absolutely in the wrong and being ridiculous. Like I said, I don't mind her being hurt and, like, maybe lashing out a little bit at Luke. Like, that's normal human behavior. But she won't let it go, even though he's like, please, let's let it go. So many times. And the stuff with Rory and William was, like, kind of whatever. It was fine. It was whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, like I said, the misdirect was good, but I just wasn't really that interested in any of that. Right. The stuff with the band was all pretty funny. I thought Lane was being a bit much when she wasn't letting the gig go because it was like, yeah, you did come here, but like, it's not worth doing the gig for no one. Like, you're not going to get seen by Well, anyone. in my head, she, I think she was like, it's all or nothing right now. Like, maybe someone will come in while we're performing. Yeah. You hear those stories. You know, Steve Martin, not a musician. Well, actually, he is a musician. He played a lot of shows to nobody. We've done shows for basically nobody. Improv shows? Oh, yeah. You know what's worse than doing stand-up to nobody? Doing an improv show to nobody. I'd rather do improv for nobody, because at least you're having fun with the people on stage. Yeah, that's true. But I really I really did like the Lane stuff, and I liked the general, like, the, the town aspect of this episode was nice. Yeah. Like, everyone bonding over the excitement about the bells, and then yeah. their resentment of the bells. Mm-hmm. And the, the winteriness of it was, was nice and cute. Yeah. So there were parts I liked. I actually didn't really like the opening scene. It's funny that you really did. Well, I told you I don't like the uh, Alexis. I'll be nice. But I'll, um, <laughs> Ow, you got some on me. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I didn't like her crying, but I thought the writing was funny. Sure. At least the names. Yeah. The, all the, the good stuff was right at the end with Lane. Yeah. That's all. Should we move on? Yeah, let's start watching a new show. No. I'm kidding. I like Gilmore Girls. I know. Halfway there. And now, for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile, Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But that's not going to stop us from discussing it. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 4, Episode 11, Trial by Magic, while on jury service, Phoebe has a vision that reveals that the defendant is innocent of murder. As she tries to stall the trial, the rest of the Charmed Ones must try and find the real killer before the sentence is passed. First off, jury service? Yeah, did someone from not America write this? Yeah, what? If you're not from America, what do you say? We say jury duty. Yeah. Jury service, like, took, I was like, is it a different thing? I guess service and duty are, like, sort of interchangeable words almost, but still. I've never once heard jury service. Yeah. So maybe it's not a real thing. I mean, this is a pretty clear episode of what's happening. There's not much confusing here. Yeah, I mean, so I guess, how does she know he's innocent? Well, she has that vision. But what is he doing in the vision? Like, pooping? Yeah. He's pooping, and at the, he looks at his watch. He's like, huh, it's noon on a Thursday, which is when... And he's reading m- a newspaper yeah. that has the date on it. Yeah. You could smell the ink, too. It's like fresh newspaper. It's not a good vision. She's yeah. like, oh, what am I seeing? Oh, my God. And then she wakes up, and she's like, oh, out loud. And all the other jury servers are like, what's wrong with you, lady? 
She's like, oh, nothing. Sorry, I'm just doing my juror duty. And they're like, you mean service? She's like, yes, service, service. So then through awkward pantomime, she communicates to her sisters that this guy's innocent. Wait, her sisters are at the trial too? Yeah, they're bored. They came to watch. Right, right. Because she's not allowed to like talk to them about the case. But she is allowed to pantomime to anyone in the room. Well, they have, like, special sister code. So they're like, that's weird what she did, but we know what that means. We're on the case, sis. So they go out to, I don't know how the fuck they're supposed to find who did do it. I mean, I guess they know a lot of the stuff about the case because they've been watching, like, where the body was found. Well, they try to have a bunch of visions. They try. Yeah. So they're like, let's fast all day and let's, like, go to a sauna. Classic vision making. So their spa day is successful. They have a clear vision of... The killer killing the guy and then tweeting, and we see, they see the timestamp on the tweet. And it's 2006 when Twitter's invented. <laughs> <laughs> they see him uh, paying a bill <laughs> right next to the body. Yeah. That's right. That's what happened. He's uh, not a good guy. He kills people, but he pays his bills yeah. on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's that guy's not a monster. So they go down to the, the water company, and they're like, do you know who paid bills on this day? And they're like, wait, so in the vision you had, you couldn't just look at the address? You saw the date? We could only see the water company name and address. Okay. And we have a description of the man. Oh, yeah. They match it all up. They've got a paper trail. They run into court. They make paper airplanes out of it to throw at the lawyers. So the lawyers show it to the judge, and he's like, I declare a mistrial. But meanwhile, while they're doing all this, while they're getting the evidence on the real killer... Phoebe has to stall. She laughs at that fact because she's like, Haha, stall. That's what I saw in my vision. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what is wrong with you? You keep talking and making sounds. But she pantomimes, fuck you. But, you know, only her sisters would get it. It's middle fingers, but. Yeah, but magic fingers. So she stalls by just constantly having excuses about why she shouldn't be on the jury. Yeah. But they, they're already out of jurors. Yeah, they're totally out of jurors. She's the last one. So, like, you need a really good excuse. And so she keeps trying to come up with ones, but. Yeah, she's like, I'm a horse. And they're like, you're not a horse. <laughs> She's like, I was a horse. Then they got a test to make sure she wasn't a horse at some point. Oh, uh, yeah, but the guy gets off. Yeah. And um, then he poops. Yeah, I mean, we assume he poops. We don't see that, but I mean. Phoebe does. She Phoebe can- <laughs> does see that in her <laughs> vision. For the rest of on. her life. <laughs> yeah. She is like, kind of wish this dude had died. Like, But she doesn't have to buy a calendar anymore. She always knows what day it is. Yeah, because that dude's always reading the paper. Wow, this one was a little scatological. It was. It's like, come on, Charmed. This is gross. Yeah. Anyway. Come on, um, Charmed. Sometimes Charmed, if I'm being real can be a little childish. Mm-hmm. Charmed. That's enough of your poop jokes that you did charmed. Yeah. Charmed. Charmed. This is Ben. Poop. <laughs> Meanwhile <laughs> on Charmed. So, Stacy. Yeah? I was hoping if you have a second. I got some time. That you could tell us about Buffy. Specifically about Doomed. So, Doomed is about the apocalypse happening again. This is what, the fifth apocalypse? Something like that. I've lost track. No, I we this is the I think this is the fifth apocalypse. Uh, I think I have it written down here. Yes, this is technically the fifth apocalypse they've come across. There was the Harvest, Prophecy Girl, Becoming Part Two, Zeppo, and now this one. Well, they're used to it. Yeah. So it's kind of no big deal. The bigger deal of the episode is Buffy and Riley trying to figure out if they should be together or not, and Spike maybe learning a new purpose for his life, and I guess Willow and Xander dealing with the fact that they're losers. Yeah. So it picks up right where it left off. Like, last week's episode ended with Riley in Buffy's dorm room saying they needed to talk. And it even transitions seamlessly out of the previously on right right into what happens next in that conversation. They sit in silence for a while. Yeah. 
And Riley finally breaks the ice by saying, what are you? He's just amazed at her speed and strength, but she doesn't really want to get into it right now. She asks who he is, but he also doesn't really want to say. And she's like, well, I actually know a bunch about who you are. What'd you think about that, Corn Boy, if that's your real name? His real name is Corn Boy. <laughs> he's like, no, no, all that's true. I, I am Corn Boy. And then she tells him she's the Slayer. And he's like, huh? And she's like, I don't know, Google it, basically. And she's like, look it up. I'm not going to tell you. Figure it out. She's bummed because she was really just hoping that he was a nice, boring guy like he seemed. And they both agree that maybe they need some time apart to process all this. Then Amy the Rat starts freaking out, and there's an earthquake. Corn Boy, who's never experienced an earthquake. Why is- are we calling him Corn Boy? Because she says, like, you're like corn-fed Iowa boy. Ah, that's right. He's like, yep, yep, Corn Boy. So Corn Boy, who's never experienced an earthquake in his life, knows what to do better than Apocalypse Cali Girl. He, like, pushes her into a doorway, which I know from Say by the Bell. Maybe that's how he knows. Big Say by the Bell fan. It's a big plot point. <laughs> but Buffy's just worried because she knows this probably means it's the apocalypse again. Spike is still rooming with Xander. They're dealing with, like, a leak from the earthquake. Xander's job of the week is Pizza Boy. Pizza Boy and Corn Boy. Big episode for them. (laughs) He says he's paying for Spike's plasma, which I think is just for alliteration, but why does Xander have to pay for it? All of them are paying for it? I guess someone's got to pay for it. And Xander's the only one who has a job, maybe? Right, right. Like, literally, the only one I see working ever? But it doesn't seem like Xander should have to pay for Spike's blood. Yeah, especially when he's got so much of his own. To give to Spike? Yeah. Save money, Xander. <laughs> you probably could just give him a little and be fine. Yeah. Uh, how often can you give blood? To a vampire? I don't know how much a vampire needs. I mean, they can drain your whole body, so. Right, but you when you give blood, you give like a pint or something. But yeah. They could all take turns giving blood. Yeah. That seems excessive. Yeah. Anyway, Xander's yelling at Spike. Spike tries to hit him with a wrench when he's turned around, but he can't. He hurts his head. He's in so much pain. And then later when Xander comes home from work, the place is like a mess. The leak has gotten worse. Spike's like, don't turn around. Don't look at me. You think he's like something horribly has disfigured him or something? Yeah, or he's like gone monstrous or something. But no, Xander does turn around to see Spike wearing real stupid clothes of Xander's. Like stupid even by Xander's standards. Yeah. It's just like a very loud Hawaiian shirt and like real weird length shorts. Yeah, they're almost like capris. Yeah, with Spike's like normal boots. Maybe Xander's taller than Spike, so they don't quite oh, yeah, maybe. fall on him the right way. Apparently he tried doing laundry and shrank his own clothes. I kind of don't buy that. His clothes seem very wash and wear. Yeah. I always wondered if vampires need to do laundry, because he always wears the same thing. Does it get stinky, or does he not sweat? I imagine it doesn't get stinky because they don't sweat, but I imagine it gets like, if you're getting knocked on the ground and stuff yeah. and you're getting fights, it's going to get muddy. Like dirty, yeah. Yeah. Spike's like, go get me new clothes and blood. And Xander's like, no, you're not the big bad anymore. You're not even the kind of naughty. <laughs> you're just a waste of space. Again, not sure why Spike doesn't just leave. I know he can't use violence to get blood, but he's smart. He could, like, find blood, I think. I don't know. I feel like he might feel, like, pretty vulnerable because he can't fight. Yeah. So, like, another vampire could come push him around. Well, we can find out later that that's not true, but as far as he knows it is. Right. Willow mentions to Buffy that the Porter dorm is having an aftershock party to celebrate their blackout from the earthquake. But Buffy's preoccupied about earthquake stuff herself. She goes to express her concerns to Giles because last time there was an earthquake, she died. Yeah, and that earthquake specifically was like a portent of the apocalypse. Yeah. So she's like, is this another portent? A portent's going on. 
Giles is like, uh, these things happen, Buffy. Now shut up and let me practice throwing my voice to make it sound like it's coming from another room. Yeah, they did some voiceover stuff. Obviously, like his audio was not usable or something. Yeah, they're like in the courtyard, but Buffy seems fine. Maybe his mic was like broken or there was wind when he talked. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's just so weird sounding. Yeah. It happened in some recent Gilmore Girls, too. Mm-hmm. I don't see it in this show too much. He's making a little pushpin map of the commando's known whereabouts, and he's figured out, based on this and, like, Spike's information, that their headquarters are likely underneath the college, and that some of the people working for the organization might be in Buffy's mist. But Buffy's like, whatever, change the subject. And it's unclear if she's trying to change the subject because of Riley, or if she's just actually preoccupied about the earthquake and wants to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Riley's talking to Forrest at the initiative. Apparently, Forrest has heard of Slayers, but says it's basically like the boogeyman to vampires, like a myth to keep them in line. First, he makes a band joke, which I thought was whatever. But A band joke? Yeah. Oh, right. About the band Slayer? Yeah. yeah. They walk past a very big, very lightly chained horned demon who's being escorted somewhere by like a guard. But those light chains don't keep that demon from kicking the shit out of a few folks. Oh my God, dude. I'm sorry. But the initiative, everything in the initiative complex looks so chintzy. Like Mm -hmm. this super underground military complex, high tech, like they got demons in there. They just have like demons being walked to their cages awake by scientists. Are you kidding? I mean, maybe he was like a little drugged and it wore off. But, like, would you even be sure drugs work on demons totally? Like, yeah. It's insane that they're like, but I'll just walk this demon down this hallway, no big deal. Like, they probably get enough vampires that they know how to deal with those, but this seems like kind of a one of a kind guy. I, I mean, you don't have to tell me, but I still don't know who's like funding this organization. Is it just Professor Walsh? And it's her- Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos has like gathered five books to sell at this point in time. <laughs> Remember those five books that fell in Riley in episode one? It all comes full circle. The demon gets Forrest in a headlock. A lab man very slowly and clumsily prepares some kind of disabling inoculation. Okay, I'm sorry. Did you say lab man? Yeah. Do you mean scientist? Is he? Who funds him? What's a lab man? That sounds like a demon. Uh, It's a lab man. A man who works in a lab. Just a man with a lab coat? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem to know what he's doing. That's that's true. He drops the shit out of this thing when his colleague is in danger. Riley's like, screw this nerd, and knocks out the demon with a club. Apparently, all the caged demons, who Forrest earlier referred to as animals, have been rattling in their cages all day. Just like Amy. Must be the earthquake, they say. The Porter dorm, where the party is happening, is apparently one and the same as, like, the common room they're all sitting in. This doesn't make any sense. Are we to believe it's the same space, or is it not? And they think we wouldn't notice that it was the same space. Yeah, I don't know. Clearly it's the same space. I don't know why people would hang out in the lobby of a different dorm that wasn't theirs. Yeah. I guess in college, the cafeteria I went to freshman year was in the basement of another dorm building, but... I didn't, like, hang out in that building's common room. I just got food and left. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the colleges are different. Who knows? Yeah, maybe, like, the cafeteria is also in this building or something, and this is yeah. just the area people can sit. But also, what are these dorm college parties people are having? Yeah. That happened in Gilmore Girls, too, where there's, like, a giant party with, like, drinking that would just absolutely get shut down immediately by RAs, by... Yeah, it's one thing to have it, like, at a frat house or something. But right. Like, most of those campuses had, like, an alcohol zero tolerance policy. Yeah, or at least, like, it would just be, like, mostly underage kids living on campus. Mm-hmm. But they're raging. Well, Willow's not. She's uncomfortable. Maybe because she's not a glow stick like everyone else. But then she sees Percy. Remember? The guy she tutored the last couple episodes of season three. He's here to visit his girlfriend, some hot girl he's with. Yeah. Lori, 
who just immediately hates Willow. Just like death eyes. She just like immediately whispers to Percy like, oh, can we go? I hate this girl. We don't hear her, but I mean, that's clearly what she said. Yeah. It's so weird and rude. Like give her a chance. I think she thought he was being flirty, but he was not. He was not being flirty at all. And either was Willow. She was just like, oh, hi. Yeah. That girl's got some jealousy issues. Yeah. But there's a demon at the party. Right, right. There's a shirtless boy making cocktails in preparation for naked limbo in a dorm room when the demon comes in and slashes his throat. Willow's just so lost at this party. Buffy's not showing up like she thought she might. She overhears Lori and Percy talking about how nerdy and not hot she is. So Willow just like gives up and goes to lay down in a bed in a random dorm room. Like, go home if you're not having fun. Yeah. It's dangerous to go just lay in some random dude's room. Yeah. What is this? Go sit in like a hallway. You can't just like go into someone's room. Yeah, she's not even like wasted or something, you know, and like not thinking clearly. It's also, it's dark because the electricity's out, but like you don't know there's not someone sleeping in there. Yeah. She just lays down in a bed. It's weird as hell. But just then, the lights come back on, revealing shirtless limbo boy in the bed next to her, dead, with like some symbols carved into his chest. Just as they're wheeling out the body, Buffy finally shows up at the party. Willow's all shaken up about finding the guy and the blood and the symbol and Percy calling her a nerd. Riley and Forrest are hanging out in their room. They have a poster on the back of their door that just says balls. <laughs> like They're men. This is a boy's room. Just pictures of like different sports balls. Yeah. I feel like that's a real poster. Yeah, I'm sure it's a real poster. Don't Willow and Buffy have a poster that just says like chocolate? <laughs> it's the most basic ass poster. <laughs> They can't do, like, brands or bands, probably. Yeah, triangles. They probably could do bands. Shapes. There's a, there's a bunch of band posters up in their room. Yeah, fake bands, though. Yeah, maybe. Like Dingoes Ain't My Baby. Riley keeps messing up at Tiny Basketball, and Forrest tells him what we've all been thinking, that he don't got game. He means basketball, but I mean with love. Yeah. Riley's like, I'm just having, like, Buffy thoughts, you know? And Forrest is like, oh, my God, I'm so over your Buffy thoughts. And then Graham, the third friend, comes in with news about the party death. So Riley's going to go do some recon. Everyone's gathered at Giles' place. Willow's telling them more about the symbol and how it seemed like whatever killed naked limbo cocktail boy was trying to drain his blood to take with him. It's a lot to deduce, but that's what we got. Yep. Giles is like, yep, it's the end of the world. Very casually. And they're all like, again? Buffy's like, that's what, I, I was trying to say that before in the courtyard. And you're all like, nah, I'm checked out of the scene emotionally and vocally. Yeah. So Buffy's like, I'm going to stop the apocalypse. She remembers that she's seen the symbol before because Willow's like doodled it. She's seen it on the side of a mausoleum. So she goes there and inside the demon is taking bones from a baby grave. I didn't know it was a baby grave at first. I was like, they couldn't afford like uh, an actual skeleton. This is so small. <laughs> Just a tiny skeleton. Yeah. yeah, I guess we don't know it's a baby now, but later they say it's like yeah. child bones. It does, it's not listed as baby grave right on it. I also want to point out like how often do mausoleums get like raided in the show? Like every other episode, there's a demon stealing something from a mausoleum. If I were Buffy, I would just start going to mausoleums and looking for shit. I'd <laughs> be like, there's probably some artifacts in here. Well, I guess probably a lot of people with things that would want to be raided get buried in this town because that's where people with things okay. go. I just want to break down that sentence. No. Things <laughs> that would want to get, so the items want to get raided. Hey, at least I didn't puke when I said it. <laughs> the items are just sitting in there like, okay, I can't wait to get raided. <laughs> Got a Lara Croft coming for me. <laughs> Moving on. 
Buffy fights the demon. Not super well. He, like, slams her down on a gravestone on her back. It would, like, paralyze a normal person. But she's a superhero. And Riley shows up. Because that's what he does best. Just shows up. (laughs) Buffy's like, why didn't you go after the demon? And Riley's like, you know, I'm unarmed. You don't go after a demon, like, alone. And Buffy's like, I do, you weak corn boy. But instead, Riley, a.k.a. Lilac... That's his uh, code name. He radios his friends about it. And Buffy's like, look, I've decided we can't date. My life is dangerous and doomed. And I can't do doomed with you. And Riley's like, but my skin is humming like a car. I love cars. He doesn't say the car stuff, but he does say his skin is humming. It's a little Drusilla-esque. Yeah. My skin is making the noise the birds make. You know, I was always a big Drew Riley shipper. I mean, maybe I've just never experienced true love. I've, I've never been so excited about someone. I don't make your skin hum? No, not yet. Well, I'm going to fix that. Maybe if I didn't cover my ears when you had a boner. Right? Yeah, that's what it is. It is humming. You just can't hear it. Bubby's like, yeah, well, you don't get my life. I went to high school on a hellmouth, and you don't even know what that is. This is like a job for you, but this is my life. So no, I'm sorry. We can't date. He's like, oh, yes, we can. And she's like, No. <laughs> She walks away. You know, it's kind of interesting because Buffy says specifically, it's my destiny. Mm -hmm. And this is like a job for you, which is interesting because that's sort of how her relationship or her commentary was with Kendra. Where Kendra's sort of like, you know, you need to treat this like a job. And Buffy's like, no, it's who I am. It's not a job. Yeah. Which I think is what she's echoing here. Sure. I I feel like Kendra thought that was who she was, though, too. Sure. Giles has discovered the Vahral demon in a book who's known as the father of portents and all kinds of other poems Which about him. different than a Bladell demon. <laughs> Riley's describing what he knows about this demon to his crew, mostly physical attributes showing off his knowledge of the metric system. And then Willow remembers reading something about the blood of the man and the bones of a child and something about the word of Valios, all part of the sacrifice of three. I want to say something about the initiative right now. So I don't want to spoil too much about the initiative for you. Okay. But, like, here's what we know right now, right? That they're a government institution. I don't know if I know that they're the government. Maybe okay, maybe I missed that. That's fair. We don't know that they're government. But, I mean, we if they're not, they're, like, okay, it's, it doesn't it seem like it's a government? I don't know. It looks pretty cheap. Might just be Professor Walls putting all her savings into that. That's true. It does look like it's one person's savings. <laughs> but I think the idea was they're trying to say it's a government institution. Say what you want about how much funding it gets. I don't know. But they always treat these demons like we've just encountered this for the first time ever. Well, there's books with these demons and shit in them existing in the world. It's definitely got to be somebody's job to be like, should we see if there's any information on these demons out there? Yeah, They're like not doing a good job, it seems. But I mean, I'll wait for all the pieces of this puzzle to pass judgment. Also, I mean, this is a bit of a spoiler, but the initiative isn't brand new. So they should have this information. Yeah. Anyway. So they know these demons have the man's blood and the child's bones, so they've got to stop him from getting whatever the word of Valios is. Riley and crew are going to chase the demon's pheromones in their civvies, which are civilian clothes. There is a brief scene with Spike, which I'll get to in a minute, but right after that, we have another Buffy and Riley scene, which I hated. Riley's walking around with his pheromone tracker and runs into Buffy, and they have the same conversation that they had like five minutes ago. Yeah. Where Riley's like, no, please, be with me. It's cool, because we're the same, and it's cute how desperate I am. And Buffy's like, no, evil's not just part of my job. It's my life. I just told you all these things. And then he calls herself involved, and she's like, you don't know me. 
and she calls him out of line and he keeps trying to tell her that she's just like scared to try this. It's, it's like not cute. Yeah. Like maybe he's making valid points. It just was weird though. But also like the whole idea that she's like a mystical creature, you know what I mean? Like she's got powers and stuff. And for him to be like, you're too self-involved. Like you don't know anything about her, man. Right. And I mean, maybe he's like, it's not fair that you're not telling me when I'm like, want to help you and listen to you. If you met a wizard in real life and the wizard's like, my life's too complicated for you to handle. I would have to be like, yeah, you mean you know more about this shit than I do? Especially because it's not like they've been dating for six months and he's just right. finding this out. They've right. like kissed one time. Yeah. It's, they're not that involved that if she's like back off, he needs to like yeah. demand answers. I mean, to be fair, he's desperate and he wants it to work. And so he's maybe just saying whatever, but. He's being a bit of a Lorelei. Oh yeah, he's Loreleying a lot right now. You moved? <laughs> okay, the spike scene. As we mentioned earlier, Spike is trying to kill himself by falling onto a spike in Xander's basement, unsuccessfully. Xander and Willow walk in on this. He doesn't love his new situation, basically. He's worried he's not scary anymore. They're like, yeah, you're kind of not. But Willow's worried about him trying to kill himself again, so they insist he comes with them on their Scooby errand. Which is what? <laughs> he's a murderer. He's tried to kill you, Willow, multiple times. I know. Later, Buffy's like, why is he here? And they're like, he's trying to kill himself. And Buffy's like, so? Yeah. They don't really need him anymore. I think they got all the information they need from him about the initiative. It's so clear. The writers are like, let's keep him around. People like him and he's fun. Yeah. Like, he should be dead. I mean, I feel like by the end of this episode, he's got a purpose. I agree with you, but it's clearly like the writers are like, well, find a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's not the only one they should kill and aren't killing. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Riley. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. wait. Who do you mean? <laughs> we'll get there. They're about to go, and Xander's like, look on the bright side. We might be facing an apocalypse. And Spike's like, really? You're not just saying that? He's <laughs> very excited about the possibility of death. They all go to the museum where they find nothing about the Ward of Valios. And Spike's still super mopey, points out how shitty their lives are too. Willow's like, we're not useless. We help people and fight evil. Spike's like, no, Buffy does. You're just her groupies and you get in her way a lot. And she's too much of a softie to tell you to stay out of her way. Burn. Yeah. I mean, I think they help, but they probably do get in her way a little bit. I mean, they've all helped her several times. Yeah. But probably also been a liability at times too. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, without Willow, Buffy couldn't have done a ton of stuff. And Xander has, through script writing, he's saved them also multiple times. Yes. But he is the most likely to, like, trip in front of Buffy in the middle of, like, a sword fight. Yeah. Meanwhile, Giles is making one of his classic book discoveries a little too late in the game. Classic Giles. (laughs) He discovers that the word of Valios isn't a book or whatever. It's a little trinket, which he just has in his house conveniently. His house used to be a mausoleum. (laughs) He says he got it from a sorcerer's estate sale. Yeah. And the demons are coming from inside the house. (laughs) There's three of them, and they just, like, beat the shit out of him. Not really sure why. Either kill him so he can't tell anyone about this or just take the thing and let him be. It doesn't make sense that they don't kill him. They could easily just take it from him if they didn't want to kill him. Why spend time beating him up if they're not going to kill him? Yeah. And also he's got information like what they're going to do next and where. I don't know if they knew that. He knew that? It just seems to me that these demons wouldn't leave any loose ends. Yeah. They're trying to end the world. They're not like, and you seem like a good guy, so we're going to leave you be. But we're going to hurt you real bad first. Yeah. You could argue that maybe they didn't care to kill him, but he kept struggling against them to, like, stop them. Yeah. But then you think that they would either, like, kill him or, like, legit break him real worse. Yeah, they'd either just be mad at him at that point and would just want to kill him because they could. Also, they're going to end the world. He's going to die anyway. Yeah. Maybe that's why they don't kill him. But then why spend the time beating him up? 
whatever. They're going to the library to open the Hellmouth. That's their plan. The so, demons, not the Scoobies. Right. They bring Sad's bike. Why not? He's at some point changed into jeans. Their high school is uh, in a giant green screen. I feel like that wide shot of that school looks very fake. Yeah, it's just like clearly not the same set. And it doesn't make any sense. Like all the walls are still there. It's just very charred. Yeah. There's some fun stuff though. Like when Xander steps on something squishy and he's like, ugh, mayor meat. Yeah. Willow's like, I think we're near the library. They would absolutely be able to navigate what we're seeing on screen yeah, without it. They any- know where the library is in conjunction to the entrance of the school. Right. They went there every day. It's not like it's a pit. There's there's walls everywhere. Yeah. They somehow find the library, and we see the three demons chanting over the Hellmouth. Buffy starts beating the shit out of them. The rest of them grab the, the things, like the blood and the bones and the trinket. They toss all that stuff to Spike for some reason, because they're all busy fighting, I guess. But Spike can't defend himself. And it's actually pretty funny. The episode makes a mistake here that kind of spoils itself. Because Spike is just sort of sitting on this ledge. But you can oh, see yeah. in the background of a shot that it's clearly his stunt double sitting there in vamp face. This is before Spike has gone vamp. Face. Yes, but we know he's gonna. Yeah. And he's gonna be fighting at some point, because that ain't James Marsters. Yeah. But the current version of Spike wouldn't fight these guys. I guess he can go vamp face. He did in Hush just to drink from his mug. Yeah, he can go vamp face. He just can't hurt human but, beings. But there'd be no reason to put the stunt double in vamp face unless the character was going to be fighting. Oh, yeah. And if he wasn't going to go vamp face in the scene, there's no reason that the stunt double would be in vamp face. So it's like, I guess it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Don't know why. And then it cuts back to James in regular face getting like picked up by the demon. James in James face. <laughs> But then Spike realizes he can hurt demons without causing himself pain. And then James Marsters goes vamp face and just like starts going to town. And one of the demons, he's having a blast. One of the demons has given up on fighting Xander and just jumps down the hellhole. The Scoobies have been wondering where like these three sacrifices were. And turns out Xander guesses correctly that they're sacrificing themselves. Mm-hmm. Which Spike gets the memo on a little late and just throws the second one down the hole. He was excited. He could hurt people (laughs) again. Well, he could hurt something again. Buffy's fighting the final demon. The building is shaking a bunch. Buffy's worried it's going to collapse and tells her friends to go. Not sure how the earthquake didn't take it down, if that's the case. But Buffy's having a hard time with the demon. Riley shows up. He's also not great at fighting him. And the demon grabs his little trinket and like shimmies down the hole. Riley just so happens to have a very long length of very thin rope on his belt and ties it to Buffy and sends her down the hole. And she's able to pull out the final demon before it can sacrifice itself for the Hellmouth. I just want to point out that the physics of this do not make any sense. The tiny rope? No? No. The the idea that they have time to tie a rope around her and then she could like catch up to this other demon while falling. Right, 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 right. Gravity, gravity, gravity. Maybe gravity's different in a Hellmouth. Okay, sure. Women fall fast. <laughs> yes, that's always true. Isaac Newton proved it. Did they kill the demon at some point? It's alive when she pulls it out and then kind of lays its head down. It might just be tired, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if they actually do kill it. I hope they do. I think it's it misses the cutoff for the sacrifice, so it doesn't matter. It misses the other demons, so it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> they feel bad for it. They go out into the hallway where Xander, Willow, and Spike are. Riley's like, oh, hey, I was just passing by, you know, passing by this dilapidated high school, which honestly, I buy for him. He passes by a lot. <laughs> yeah. Just always passing by. Yeah, she's running to Riley in the street more than she's running to anyone ever. I know. He's probably tracking her pheromones. That's probably what's going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's always got that little thing on like, oh, hey, Buffy, what's going on? So you're ovulating right now? <laughs> But Willow's like, you were just passing by in your G.I. Joe outfit? And he's like, yeah, uh, paintball. And they're like, we all know what you are. Shut up. 
Spike's been like trying to hide his face because Riley's maybe Riley's seen him before, right? Yeah, Riley's like, don't I know you? But Spike's like, no, just an old pal of Xander's here. It's like, dude, you're not even British. Use your regular voice. Well, I mean, I think that's the joke is that he's not good at doing an American accent. But did people know that he wasn't British? The actor? No, a lot of people think he is British. Yeah. I mean, maybe somebody knew that, but. In a strange turn of events, Buffy goes to Riley's room. Usually the other way around. Yeah. He's super worried that so many people know about his secret identity. He thinks he's going to be in big trouble. And he's like, it's the end of the world. And Buffy's like, no, it's not. Something about that long, thin rope you pulled out of your pants somehow really changed my mind about you. He's like, well, it's not that thin. It's pretty thin. <laughs> it was like a string. You get that I was making a penis joke, right? Yeah, I was too. Okay, yeah. But I don't know how she fucking rappelled down a canyon with that. And then they just like make out in front of his balls poster. I'm not really sure what changed, but it, it did. Things are different now between them. Yeah, I don't know. And it ends with Willow and Xander watching TV at Xander's place. And Spike's like, what are we doing? Let's get Buffy and go fight some demons. Just like supercharged, excited to fight something. Yeah. They don't want to, but I feel like this is Spike's next plan is to help them fight demons. Sometimes. And that's the episode. What do you think, Brian? Is it a good one? Um, I don't think it's a great episode, but I don't know if I would categorize it as a bad episode. Yeah. I do agree that, like, essentially Buffy and Riley have the same conversation twice. Mm-hmm. And her objections are a little bit like, well, he is still different than Angel. In fact, this works out for you. It sounds like he can help you. It's like having Angel without any of the problems. Right, right. But he's also not as strong as Angel. So, um... What? You think he's as strong as Angel? I want to point out a couple things. So, Buffy is stronger than Angel, hands down. So when Riley's like, well, I'll be pretty sore the next day, so would Angel. They kind of beef up Angel a lot, I feel like, especially in his show. I don't know if Riley is as strong as Angel, but I think he is. I don't. Angel can heal. He's, like, impervious. Uh, Yeah, I guess you're right. He's not as strong as Angel. I don't want to ask. I do want to ask questions, but I don't know if people are watching along. I don't want to spoil it for them. All I'm saying is this. Riley seems... To be able to fight better than a regular human fights. He's maybe tra- that's just his training. I don't he's know. He's trained. Sure, maybe that's what it is. Because I feel like you can shoot Riley in the head. That would kill Riley. That would... That would kill Buffy. Not kill Angel. That would kill Buffy. Sure. But I, I just feel like Riley is maybe more in danger than Angel is if he's, like, out fighting with I Buffy. agree, but I... So is Buffy. Like, the both... The, whatever would kill Buffy would kill Riley. Okay. Uh, but I, Buffy, from her perspective, thinks she's much, much stronger than Riley. And I think Angel's much, much stronger than Riley. Okay, Buffy often brings companions with her when she goes fighting, whether it's Xander or Willow. And she's at times told them that they're not as strong as her. But, like, Riley is not a weakling. Sure. And he's also got a crew of people that can help him. He's also got, like, lightning guns. So... It does seem like they should all just pull resources at this point. Like, yeah. She's very hesitant to be like, tell me more about your organization. It's like, sometimes Buffy needs backup. And when her backup is a bumbling Xander off of his, like, hot dog on a stick job, like, maybe your backup could be a bunch of commandos with lightning guns that know what they're doing. Yeah. It might be strong. I don't know. That's what I heard through a rumor. But I think it makes sense that she wouldn't want to be... Like, in love with someone that is in harm's way all the time. There's a scene in this episode where Buffy is surprised by Riley and tries to hit him. She doesn't hit him. He deflects the, the attack. He's well-trained. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, yeah, I think it definitely had some fun Spike stuff. I don't know. Everything else was a little... Like, the, the Monster of the Week was kind of whatever. It was another, like, apocalypse. Oh, no. 
Yeah. Where, like, the I don't know. It was kind of a, it just felt like any other monster. This sure. could have been one of those guys that showed up when Xander was a demon magnet. I don't know. I kind of liked the monsters because they were they were trying to bring about the apocalypse, but they were going to sacrifice themselves. I thought that was a, a cool twist. Yeah. You're right that they are generic horned green demon monsters, whatever. Yeah. But the fact that they were like sacrificing themselves and like doing a ritual and stuff, I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. It didn't feel special. Like even though mm -hmm. the judge ended up not being special. Yeah. That felt special. Sure. Sure. And yeah, the, the Buffy Riley stuff was kind of dumb. That they just kept having the same conversation in circles. Yeah, I hear you. Part of me went into this like knowing he wasn't well liked. So maybe I ruined it for myself. But I don't I feel like regardless, I would have felt that way. Yeah. He just he wants it too bad. So which one do we think is better? I think Buffy. Even though you just shit all over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Buffy too. Both had really good stuff, but not much. And I think the stuff that I didn't like about Gilmore was like worse writing and more annoying. I agree. I think both had some pretty funny lines. Mm -hmm. Gilmore had a couple of really funny lines and a great opening. But like that stuff with Lorelai, I was like, I'm annoyed watching this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, stop it. That's how I felt. With this, the only thing that really drove me nuts was that they had the same conversation back right. to back. Other than that, it was just sort of a generic episode. Cut to tons of people telling us we're wrong again. <laughs> Sorry we don't have the same opinion as everybody. I don't know. I think it's, it, this one could go either way. But I think yeah. for me, it's Buffy. Well, guys, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buff the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 12, A New Man. Should be a fun one. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 12, A Family Matter. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Did you think Rory was the stalker girl? Did you have parties at your dorm, like with alcohol? Do you think Spike's clothes would have shrank? Where the fuck was Anya? Where the fuck was Anya? What else has she got to do besides hang out? Why do you think Paris wants Rory to ask about this secret boyfriend she's cheating on her boyfriend with? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. If you want to hear us discuss the show Angel, we do that on our Patreon page. Just subscribe there, where we also host monthly live-streamed watch parties, post monthly outtakes, extended episode previews, and more. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by subscribing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Stacy, or by taking advantage of our partnership with Wink.com, or by making a one-time donation. All these options are linked in the episode description and in our social media bios. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, which helps get our podcast discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. For more non-podcast comedy content, follow us at Brian and Stacy. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an EY. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. Guys, we have a secret. We've been making baked potatoes this whole time. They're almost done. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We might need to put our earplugs in. Oh no. You wear earplugs too? Oh yeah, yeah. I hate the sounds I make when I have a bone. <laughs> <laughs> Is one of them blood hell? Blood hell. Yeah, that and the humming come from your skin. It's too much. Oh, what a night we're gonna have.